Father God, we thank you so much uh, for the privilege to be able to worship you today. Father, we do. Uh, our prayer is that the Holy Spirit would be welcome here. Father, our prayer is that uh, your work of convicting us of our sinfulness and our need for righteousness to become more and more like you <clears throat> so that we can serve you, to use the gifts that you have entrusted to us. Father, to bring you honor and glory and to point people towards you. Father, help us to be open to that. Father, again, thank you for loving us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. We do thank Annie for sharing that with us, for Frank and the choir, their preparation and leadness. And uh, this morning, I want to share with you from Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. We have... Uh, this. Of course, tomorrow's Memorial Day, a day when we honor those uh, that died in service or uh, have died since serving, and we remember them. And this morning, we want to remember Jesus Christ and what he has called us to do. We believe those that served and serve well finish strong. And my challenge is, oh, my tie is crooked. That's the good thing about notes up there. Um, the best note of the service. Um, this is when you wish there were just hymns still out there and we could just have a hymn sing this morning, you know. But we want to finish well. It's important. We don't, you know, most of us are in literally the second half of our lives, but every one of us could be in the second half of our lives. We could be in the fourth quarter. We could be in the last two minutes. Jesus died at a relatively young age. And I think part of that was to, low, to show it's not about age. It's about quality. It's about what you do with the opportunity that you're given. And so today I want to look in Matthew 25 because obviously this is towards the end of the letter of Matthew. And so he gives three teachings, three parables, two parables and a simile maybe, and some other truths in here. But we're just going to look at some of the practical application in Matthew. Because in the very next chapter in 26, we get Peter's betrayal. We get Judas, you know, Peter's denial. We get Judas's betrayal, you know, the prayer in the garden. And he's taken off to trial. So this is right before that. And so he's saying, here's some things that I want to remind you of so you will finish strong. Now, just kind of a parallel into that, because I'm a guy. So a guy, a lot of times, talks about sports stuff. So I'm going to give you a couple of uh, just sporting examples about finishing strong. Tom Brady, it's okay if everybody boos him here. You know, that's okay. Uh, Tom Brady is the number one active guy right now as far as leading fourth quarter comebacks. Now, you could be happy with who number two is because number two and just one behind is Drew Brees. Uh, my boy Dak, he's down at the bottom of the pile. Um, but Tom had, think about this, as far as a guy that is, is, is prepared for the second half of the season, is prepared for the second half of a game, is prepared for the last few minutes. He, there are five NFL teams that have 30 playoff victories. Tom Brady by himself has 29. He is 30 and 10 in playoff games. He has six Super Bowl victories. Uh, great quarterback, uh, Joe Montana, 45. He's number two, 45 touchdown passes in the playoffs. Tom Brady, 73. He is a finisher. 
He finishes strong. At the end of the game, if he's got the ball, you're sweating if you're on the other side. But another individual that finished really strong, a little closer to home, 576 and 87 coaching record. Number two all-time in women's basketball. 13-30 win campaigns, 13 conference titles, 20 straight NCAA tournament appearances, nine Final Fours, including eight in a row, five national championship games, and the title in 88. Pretty good coach. Pretty good finisher. Pretty good second half of the season, end of the season, second half, last four minutes of the game. And that's our own Leon Barmore. Uh, There's a pretty picture of him up there when he's getting ready to wish his wife happy birthday. But I asked Coach Barmore, I said, Coach Barmore, tell me a little bit about that. Tell me a little bit about how does a team make sure at the end of the year they're playing their best ball? How do you make sure at the end of a game, the second half of the game, you're getting stronger? How do you make sure those last four minutes you have the confidence to come out on top. And he shared with me a few things, and being a minister, I put them in a kind of a little acrostic because it helps me. But one of the things he mentions, he mentioned pace. You don't want to burn out too early. Okay, you do have to have that, you know, he said we try to give them a month off. I guess that's their Sabbath. Uh, But then you don't want to burn them out before the season. You don't want to burn them out in December and January. You're learning your substitution patterns. You're learning, uh, you know, how long a player can go, who's most effective, who works well together. If you lose a game in, in December or January, no big deal. But it's pace. Even during the game itself, it's pace. Because you don't want your player shot for the last four minutes of the game. And it might have to go into overtime. So he goes, there's a pace that you have to understand and you have to develop so we're finishing strong. He also talked about plan and preparation. As coaches, we have to plan. We have to plan how we're going to practice. We have to plan for every scenario. We have to sit down and think, okay, if we're up by 10, here's what we do to maintain that. In the last four minutes, if we're up by four, down by four, you know, foul situation, we have to go through every scenario and then preparation. Then we have to go to practice and make sure those players go through that. They have to go through every scenario because then at the end of the game, when it actually happened, they're poised and they're positive. They're poised. They know what to do. They've been there and they're positive. They expect to win. And he goes, when you can kind of instill those qualities in a team, they tend to be successful. And Christ wants us to be successful. Now, I'm not going to say a whole lot about pace other than this in this message today. God doesn't want us to quit. There's no retirement. In Matthew 25, when the gentleman was, or or whoever it was, was faithful with the five talents, what did they get? Five more. When the person was faithful with the two, what did they get? Two more. They got more responsibility. They didn't say, hey, that's great. Go sit down for a while, kick your feet up. No, they were entrusted with more. And so what God wants us to know as we finish, and here's the thing. The first part of Matthew 25 is kind of alluding to Christ returning. And Christ could return at any time. But it's also alluding to the fact if Christ doesn't come to meet us, you know what? Most of us, we're going to go meet him. 
And we need to be ready and we need to be prepared for that. And therefore, as long as we're here, we need to be serving. And the longer we're here, the more time we're given. That service needs to get stronger. That prayer life needs to get deeper. That Bible study, we need to get searching more. We need to continue to work on our testimony, develop our gifts and talents. It's not, I'm sorry. I'm not saying this because Ed's in here. I've done my time in Bible school. If you served in Bible school and you are good at it, keep doing it. It's only a week. It's only a couple hours. And with rotations, it's not very long at all. You know, you will survive. I think we have not had a death in Bible school workers so far. So keep serving. Your service may have to change. I know people that have taught for years and they just realize with sometimes with memory and preparation, I'm not as sharp as I wanted to be, but I can be a sub. I can be a prayer warrior for this class. I can be an encourager for this class, but you keep serving. Your pace doesn't need to decrease. As we get towards the end, our pace needs to continue to increase, get stronger. I didn't say get busier get stronger, get more effective. But what I want us to focus a little more on is the plan, the preparation, and then how we can execute that with poise so that we as Christians can finish strong. So the first thing that I want to think about in Matthew chapter five is relationship, relationship. And in these first verses, one through 13, he is talking about prepared versus unprepared. Because here's the thing. If we don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if we're not on the team, we're not prepared and we're not going to be affected. So in these first verses, right before everything's about to take off with his arrest and crucifixion, in the end of chapter 24, he's given a couple of warnings about preparation and making sure you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And here in these first 13 verses in this parable of the 10 virgins, he is saying, make sure that you have a relationship with me. Above anything, make sure this is taken care of. Let's read just a couple of passages here, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. I'm just going to stop here just a second. Okay, you got to understand a little bit about Jewish weddings. I've never been to one. Only read in commentaries about them. But basically, little different customs there. But a lot of times, what well, not a lot of times, what would happen, let's say my son Josh, who's single, and so I go out and uh, maybe we work together. It changed over time. There was a time where I might find it, then later he might find it, and it's kind of a joint negotiation. But tradition was that I went to the family of the girl that he was interested in, and we did some negotiations, drew up a contract, things like this, and they had entered into to a formal time of betrothal. There might be a wedding gift or promises or whatever made. And then they separated for a year, although they were considered legally married. This is kind of what was going on with Mary and Joseph. And during this time, they weren't idle. Okay, he would go back either to his parents' house or to his own place, and he would start making preparations in his home, getting it ready to have, you know, a female coming to live, moving his billy bass, moving the, you know, the big buck, you know, to a certain specific area, and just kind of, you know, I'm sure with her input, uh, ever how you fixed up a Jewish home, but fixing it up. She went home and started getting ready for the wedding, you know, working on their dress, those types of different things. And 
the ten virgins represents the wedding party. And so you had this, this year of time, and at the end of this year of time, the groom would come and take his bride. He would go to her house and he would take her, announce to the, and it wasn't just a, you know, out of the blue. You knew roughly when it was, but you didn't know exactly when he might be coming. And they said in middle-class Jewish families, it was kind of, of considered, you know, part of the fun is that he might delay it. He might come in the middle of the night and come and take her. And so he would come and get her and there would be somebody coming in front of him that would be announcing, you know, the bridegroom is coming, the bridegroom is coming. And he would go then and get her and take her back to his house or to his parents' house where then they would have the ceremony and consummate. And then after that, have a week of, of celebration. They didn't go on a honeymoon. They opened basically an open house for about seven days. And these virgins' responsibility would be to be prepared that if he went at night to have their torches to light along the way. They would kind of take a little bit of a longer path because he's, you know, they would be celebrating, announcing a noise and people would come out and give them well wishes. And so they would light the way. And the torches, if it was a little longer, would only stay lit for so long. Therefore, they needed the extra oil. Therefore, they couldn't share it with the others. And you knew that was your responsibility. I don't know a lot about weddings, but I know... Brides and mothers of the bride, they take that stuff serious. You know, there's some things, you know, oh, we need an extra table. Okay, stick that out and we'll throw a tablecloth on that. Oh, no, no. That is not what we do. And if the, you know, bridesmaid don't just decide, you know, she picked out these dresses, but that's not really what I like. I'm going to wear this instead. You know, they understand that, that there are certain responsibilities and it's disrespectful to the bride, to the bride's family, not to follow those requests. And so basically we have here some people that didn't take those responsibilities too seriously. As we read on, It says, five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. Wise means engaged in an action appropriate to their professed status. Their status was part of their wedding party. They had a task assigned to them. The foolish ones took their lamps, but they didn't take any oil with them. So they got their lamp, but, and and who knows what their excuse was. You know, again, part of it was like, oh, we'll borrow from them. But again, if they take a long path, the ones that had that in the oil are not going to have enough. So they can't loan it out to them. We'll run, get it. They don't know exactly what that path is going to be. They're going to assume. So for whatever reason, they had excuses for putting it off, delaying it. We'll get to it later. But it says the wise ones took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming because, again, we said he may delay it. It's just part of the process. You know, just kind of, I want to surprise her. And they all became drowsy. Nothing wrong with becoming drowsy. You delay something, you become sleepy. But if you're sleepy and prepared, it's okay. But if you're sleepy and unprepared, it's not okay. And it says that they fell asleep. In that situation. And at midnight, the cry rang out. The guy coming in front. Here comes the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Obviously, some were prepared and some were not prepared. 
In verse 10 it says, And while they were going to, bri- going to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. In other words, we understand that their wedding banquet, if somebody arrives late, we may let them in. I've been in situations where churches like this and the doors open once the bride comes down. If you've got a really strong wedding coordinator, nobody else comes in. And this situation is given the thing. Once those doors were shut, once we got to the bridegroom's house and the ceremony is going to happen, those doors are shut and you're not getting in. And he is reminding his listeners here, right before the crucifixion and all is about to happen, make sure you're prepared. Don't put it off. Don't delay. No matter what you've done, you're not going to be ready for the second half. You're not going to be ready for the end if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And there are so many reasons we can find to put it off. We have doubts, we have uncertainties, we have questions, but we've seen in the last few years, we've seen Tony Corley nail down his relationship with Christ. My daughter nailed down her relationship with Jesus Christ. Janelle nailed down her relationship with Jesus Christ. A lot of times it's just you think you got the basis covered, you hope you got the basis covered. Well, I'm not really sure I'll get to it later, but he's saying, Don't put it off. Make sure that you're prepared and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ so that you can come in, be a part of that celebration that follows. So make sure, if we're going to finish strong, that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's the second thing. To finish strong, once you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus says, you know what? There's some resources that I've entrusted to you. And Jesus is reminding them here, I'm about to go be with the Father. And I'm leaving you guys here to be my hands, my feet, my eyes, my ears. But I'm not leaving you alone. Obviously, he's leaving the Holy Spirit with them. But he also remembers, I'm entrusting things to you. I'm giving you gifts. I'm giving you talent. And one of the most important things that he's entrusting to them, he is entrusting other people to them. So let's read in these passages. He says, in verse, uh, starting in verse 14 in chapter 10, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Now, there's nothing wrong with that doesn't mean the one with five was more valuable than the one with two, the one with one. God is the potter. He can make the clay how he designs, and he makes us each for different purposes. He gives us different interests, different likes, different talents, different abilities. You love music. You love art. You love the outdoors. I've given you great intellect. He gives people a lot of different talents and abilities. He gives people different influences and different sets of friends. And what God expects is equal effort. What God expects is equal commitment. What God expects is equal value of that gift. And then he holds us all. The reward can basically be the same if we are good stewards with what he has given to us. But you think, who's God put in your circle? Who has God laid on your heart to pray for, to influence? What talents and abilities and how do those talents and abilities give you the opportunity to influence Some may be in a timber community. Some may be in a banking community. Some may be in a medical community. Some may be in an insurance community. Some may be in a factory setting, in a a, a 
truck driving, a logging setting. There's all kinds of different settings where God may place you and you have the opportunity to influence those that God has placed around you. So he gives different ones different talents. Let's pick right back up there, Jamie. It says the man who had received five bags of gold went in at once. He did not delay. He put his money to work and he gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. And each man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, again, we kind of differentiate between that five, two, and one. A talent was a weight, and the value depended on what was being weighed. It could be copper, it could be silver, it could be gold. The most common thing was silver. In the NIV, it mentions gold. So even one talent of gold was not a small amount. I heard different things in commentaries. One estimated it was worth 20 years' wages. So it wasn't a small amount, but it's easy when I start looking at mine versus, well, wait a second, Ed's got 40 years wages and Ben's got 100 years wages. And we start looking and, and maybe we feel bad about what we've given or that's not fair or so, you know what, I'll get Ben, they're, yeah, they're working hard, I'll get to mine later. But we find all kinds of excuses for, for putting off, I'll get back around to it. Well, God must not think much of me, so I'll bet, whatever. But we find excuses for not being good stewards of the people, the talent, the times, the opportunities. I'll get to it. I'll get to writing. I'll get to teaching. I'll get to creating. I'll get to having that conversation with that person. I'll get to writing that letter. I'll get to go by and see that person. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And the next thing, it's buried in the ground. And there comes that time of accounting. And we've not got back to it. And he tells us in this passage, in verses 25 through 29, he gives some uh, tough words about it. He says, I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. I was afraid. I didn't have confidence. I was trusting in my ability and not your ability. And and I, I didn't trust how you could multiply it. See, look, I'm giving back to you what belongs to you. You know, I've done the basics. I've showed up at church. I've put some money in the plate. And his master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I've not sown because I've left you guys here to help with that harvest. I gather where I've not scattered because I've left you guys here to help with the scattering and gathering of that seed. You should have at least put my money on deposit. You should have at least invested it with others who could have helped with that work so that I would have received it back with interest. But basically, you didn't do anything. Now, we can look at different extremes of that. But what our goal should be is our goal should be like the two and the five. And I want to give back God as much as possible. While I'm here on this earth, I want to serve him with everything that I have. And I want to let every friendship, Father, I give it to you. Every family member, I give it to you. What I do at work, God, I want to honor it and give it to you. Let my work be a place of worship. Let my attitude and influence here point people towards you. Because again, at the end, he says there's going to be an accounting. And for this servant, it says he will be thrown out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, where the first one is a pretty clear illusion that you're shut out and separated from God, there are some that look at this one as the judgment seat of Christ, and it maybe he was, it wasn't a heaven-hell thing, but basically he was thrown out, and there's great regret. There's that we 
weeping. That's why that tears wiped away at the judgment seat of Christ. You see what you could have done, what you could have had, the people you could have influenced. You don't have anything to lay at the feet of Christ and you understand how great he is. So if we want to finish well, what we've got to do is we've got to be faithful with the resources, with the people, with the talents that God has entrusted to us. God does give differing gifts, but what matters is how we use them. We're rewarded for the work well done. And again, not with rest, but with more responsibilities. He tells us to take a Sabbath rest. In that is the concept of maybe taking a week rest. But he gives us work to do uh, until he calls us home. And the one that's punished, you know, I'm convinced that if he would have went out and served and lost it, it's just like you put somebody in a game, and at the end of the game, they go and execute and do everything, and they miss the shot. You're disappointed, but you're proud for the effort they came. But if you put them out there and they don't have a clue what they're doing because they hadn't been listening and paying attention, it's a little different reaction. And, and he would have been okay. You go out and you try and you share your faith and the person doesn't respond. You know, there's missionaries. I know some missionaries in Japan and they talk about sharing their faith year after year after year. But in that culture, they've just seen such little response. And sometimes they feel like a failure. But what God holds them accountable for is that they faithfully served and shared their faith. And that's what God holds us accountable for. Then here's the last thing. Righteous. And I've got a question mark up there because one of the key things for us to finish well is we've got to understand what it means to truly be righteous. We've got to understand what Jesus said, he who receives, uh, it's actually, I think I got that backwards. He who receives, uh, he who receives you receives me. He who receives you receives me. And in these passages, he is talking about, he goes out and and it's a king. And the king, uh, let's read those passages, Jamie. It says, and the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, feed you, thirsty, give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then he answers here, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers, you did for me. If we're going to finish well, we've got to see people like God sees people. We've got to have righteous eyes that see people like God sees people. Four times in this passage, he mentions that list of things, the hungry, uh, those that need clothing, those in prison. and he got, That's valuable to God. Look who God served. And he said, I've got you here not only to use your gifts and your talents, but I want you to see those that oftentimes the world misses. Now, his first application of this, if you read this, is not just to the poor and needy in general, because he talks about brothers in here. He talks about little ones, which is a reference to those in the family of God. He's talking about you got to take care of your brothers and sisters in Christ. 
who may be hurting and going through difficulties and hardships. Visit them in the hospitals. Visit them the homebound. Visit the nursing homes. Those that are going through financial difficulties, be there for them. Those that are going through family crisis, be there for them. You need to be there for your church family. And they answered, you know, they were so surprised. It was such a part of who they were. It was such a part of something that just came from the heart. They're like, when did we do this? And he said, don't you know when you did it for Joe, when you did it for Sam, when you did it for Becky, when you did it for Sally, you were doing that for me. And they're surprised by this because this was just part of their nature and who they were. And that's the type of people that finish well. That's the type of people God wants you to be. When it's just a natural part of you that you just go out and love and serve people in the name of Jesus Christ. You see those that are hurting, what can I do? How can I pray for you? You see those going through a setback or a difficulty, let me just sit here with you for a little while. God's saying, that's the kind of people that I need. I'm leaving, and I'm leaving you here to carry on my work. I saw these people. I need you to see these people. Now, the other ones answer back, well, when did we see that? We didn't see that. You know, they totally missed it. And it was basically, God, if you would have told us this is what we were supposed to do, we'd have done it. If it had been a duty or an obligation, an assignment, we'd have done it. And that missed the whole point. He said, no, I want you to do it because I'm living in you. And this is where my heart is. And my heart needs to be your heart. And God's saying, if you want to finish well, we got to see those within the community of faith, not just here. It's estimated there's two to 300 million Christians worldwide suffering because of hunger, poverty, disease. We need to be lifting them up in prayer. How can we support them? How can we pray for them? How can we give towards our missionaries that are working with them? Those are our brothers. And he said, I've left you here to care for them. And yes, in a broader sense, we certainly need to care for those that aren't Christians, that are poor and hurting and going through difficulties because a lot of times that becomes a way that we reach them for the gospel. Satan can be really good about hardening us and wanting to see people going through difficult. Well, they just brought that on themselves. Well, they just need to go through that. And we separate and we categorize and our hearts become hardened. We've got to keep our hearts soft so that we can go out in the name of Jesus and love people. You want to finish well, you got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You want to finish well what he has entrusted to you, you got to put to use. You want to finish well, you got to see people like Jesus. You got to see them through his righteous eyes. And you got to be willing to go and love people, our brothers and sisters in the faith that are hurting, but then a hurting world. I'm going to close out with a little thing. Uh, uh, just, you know, thinking about Memorial Day, about saving Private Ron. And if you remember uh, in the end of that movie, uh, I believe uh, Tom Hanks played a character uh, in that movie named uh, John Miller. And it's actually based on a true story. It's based on the, and loosely based on a true story of the Neelan brothers, where two were lost, one they thought was lost, and one got separated. And there was an edict passed that you went and you wouldn't let somebody lose all their children. But if you remember at the end of that movie, when uh, Tom Hanks is sitting there dying, and he grabs Private Ryan and he says, earn this. And then you remember the grave scene where Mr. Miller is standing over uh, Private Ron's, uh, not Private, uh, 
Officer Ron's grave and he says, tell me I was a good man. Now here's the thing. We don't have to earn our love from Jesus Christ. Jesus wouldn't say earn this. But as we think of his death, we need to think of him saying to us, honor this. Live for this. Live in a way that brings me honor and glory. And then when we do stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful service. We want to hear that we lived well. And the thing is, you can. Have a relationship with Jesus. Give all your talents and abilities and people say, I'm giving 100%. I'm going to use them as long as I'm here. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to love people and see people like Jesus sees people. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving us and thank you for caring us. Thank you that you did die for us. And Father, in light of that death, Father, help us to honor you. You were willing to take care of our sin problem and you have left us here to be your body. So Father, in light of that, help us to live a life that brings honor and glory to you by loving people, by reaching out to people, by seeing people the way that you see people. Help us all here to honestly evaluate ourselves and say, am I using my talents and my abilities? Am I reaching people? Am I seeing people like you do? And Father, if we don't, help us today to be a day of repentance and turning and commitment because we want to finish well. We want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. And our prayer today that if anyone doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would today quit making excuses and receive that gift that you offer and come be a part of the family and get to experience that wedding feast. In your holy name we pray. Amen.